The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it is Jane Keith. We're going to be talking men's and women's basketball. A quick recap because we are talking Southern Conference commissioner candidates and maybe three things I want to see the new commissioner do. And then, as promised, Will Huzzy gets a chance to give his side of the story and break out and break out, break the news on exactly how the decision went into going into the portal, what all he did in the portal why ETSU was a place for him, and how he recruited Tyler Rydell to come back. And Tyler stole his thunder, so I'm going to allow Will to give us his side of the story of everything. And uh, we'll be interesting to get his take on all that. That being said, an interesting week of Southern Conference basketball, as in a lot of snoozers, uh, uh, not a lot of buzzer beaters or things going on that way. The other thing for ETSU, and we're going to talk about this very briefly, uh, two games I think they would like to forget. Uh, yes. Our entire weekend, I think we'd like to forget. Yes, men's basketball uh, fell down 8-0, got it to a 12-7 deficit. All of a sudden, it was 34-15. Bucks got it to 8 right before half, and uh, it set a, you know, kind of the kiss of death, maybe just if they could get one stop with 16 seconds to go, and it's 8, it just feels different than 10, and then Sanford gets a dunk going in the locker room, then they build a 24-point lead. Mm-hmm. Then ETSU gets it down to 11. Jalen Haynes gets a technical foul, and it was all said and done. Uh, it was least I can't say it on air. It was entertaining the way he got a technical foul. The referees, when we talked to him in the parking lot afterwards, were chuckling and was like, "It was clever." I mean, it deserved a T, but it was clever. It, it warranted the technical, but yeah, like it was it, know, just bad timing though. Out of everything, there was yeah. several things. ETSU, if I'd have told you they held 13 points for Die and Glover, you're thinking probably winning the game. And on top of that, you had more field goals and more three point field goals hit. You're still thinking you win the game. Mm. But then you go to they were plus 16 more free throws made than ETSU. Mm-hmm. They attempted 17, I think, more free throws than ETSU. And then the 20, what is it, four or five points off turnovers, they were plus 17, yeah. excuse me, plus 17 there. Yep. Those are the two biggest reasons um, why Sanford ended up picking up a big one. And I also think uh, this just underscores, like, I'm, I'm not, this is one that I'm not mad about. Sanford's better than ETSU is right now. And there's not really – this isn't a, a game that that's really you can go in and look at it and say, okay, this is winnable for, for ETSU as the team is currently constructed. I, I just – I did not expect them to win the game. Um, I honestly thought it would be, you know, maybe a little bit more of a tight contest. ETSU obviously gets it down to 11. It was the closest game of the, the, the Saturday in SoCon men's hoops. Um, but – I, I thought it would be a little bit more competitive or hoped it would be a little bit more competitive, but Sanford was always going to find ways to get shots. I mean, you remember Jermaine Marshall, he couldn't put a foot wrong when they came and played at Freedom Hall. And you watch the intensity and the and the, the in-sync nature of their defense and, and the way that they worked together on offense, even though they didn't shoot a super high percentage, uh, they still just, they shared the ball, I, I thought, uh, pretty well. You know, 11 assists on 21 field goals is going to be a good, that's, that's going to have Bucky pretty happy. Um, this is a team that just is way more put together right now than ETSU is. And to go to their place, 
Um, and and to have this sort of result, I don't think is necessarily a shocking thing. Um, because again, like this is this is what we want. Sanford, and to some degree, is what you want ETSU to look like next year under Desmond Oliver when you know the, he does a lot of the things that he's talking about doing with the backcourt. I mean, you remember last year he said our front line's got to get better. We got to spend resources on on improving the front line. He goes out, he adds Jalen Haynes. He goes out, he adds Josh Taylor. Jaden Seymour, I think, I think we can all agree, has taken a positive step forward this season, progressed considerably this season for the Bucks. So he did that. And now he's saying we need more from our backcourt. It was the first thing out of his mouth, I think it was, in his postgame interview is, I just expect more out of our backcourt than what we're getting right now. And you know, Justice Smith is still... I think he's still getting back up to speed after missing some time. He had 11 points in 22 minutes, four or seven for the floor. Um, you know, Jordan King had five turnovers and seven points. That's killer. Uh, Alan Struthers didn't score at all, had four turnovers. That's killer for for, for that backcourt. So now we're hearing we need to improve the backcourt, and we obviously can't talk about the guys that this team is actively recruiting. But I think if you follow the social media trends of where a lot of that's going, and a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are ETSU partisans will do just that, I think you see that there is a plan. The plan is being pursued aggressively. And some of the guys that they're trying to go get are difference maker type of guys. And that's what this team is missing right now. And once that's in place, I think you can expect something more competitive against Sanford. And you expect something that looks a little bit more like Sanford. Kind of. Yeah. But right now, it's just this is where this team is. And uh, is it going to get better? Is it not going to get better? I mean, the popular question, I've fielded more questions the last week. Um, Twitter, email, text messages, phone calls, D'Anthony Tipler. What's the story? I, he's been working out on his own. Um could be back this week, I was told, which is the first time I, that somebody has mentioned his, his kind of name of the staff. So I, I don't know. If he's back, does that help? I mean, it certainly gives you another body, which they seem to be struggling with. And there's certainly no doubt that he can shoot or mm-hmm. score. Agreed. So if you get him back, is, does is that enough to help? Uh, I, I don't know because, you know, if he's working out in the gym, he's running, he's staying in shape, well, that's really not an issue. Chemistry-wise, how does it go? I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot there. But clearly, Coach addressed that and who he's trying to recruit. And, again, you're right. A lot of the Buck Nation do very heavily. Matter of fact, Coach said that as much as that what makes this job intriguing and interesting and easier is the fact that the love that is shown by Buck Nation on Twitter, the Twitter Mafia as we call them, the Buck Twitter Mafia, <laughs> and that they do a great job of trying to sell ETSU and – the recruits, at least in basketball, have said as much like, hey, I, I'm really considering this because, I mean, man, your you're guys love basketball. I mean, they're coming at me. They really want me there, want to do all that. Even, and, you know, talking to players that have moved on from the program and gone elsewhere, they're like, you know, ETSU fans still often tell me, you know, if something goes good, like, hey, man, good game. We're still pulling for you. And he's like, I, it's just, it's unbelievable. There are people that transferred away from ETSU that will come back to ETSU games because of the bond they have with the fan base. So I think that's something that uh, maybe a separate topic altogether one day, but I think it's clear 
Guards need to be better. I think it's clear. And I think Harrison has been incredible his last now. He's been five a really games. nice addition Another in the career back high. end of the year. Yeah. So I, a lot going on there. Um, we're going to have Wednesday the normal SOCON, the standings, and we may dive into more stuff there. Women's basketball. So I'm sitting there getting prepared for Sanford. And I'm like, great. I got an hour to watch, you know, intently, you know, in between maybe some pregame segments, this, that, and other. And then I would turn my head to write some down and I would look to the right which is where my iPad would be, and then, bam, Chad hits a three. And I'd look back down, I'd scribble, I'd look up, and he hit a three. And I looked, much. At, I looked at Kevin at one point, I said, are they like, have they missed a three? And Kevin goes, um, they're three or four. And it was early. I said, oh, okay. And then they got to halftime, and they, they banged another one in right before that. I said, what are they at three? He goes, five of seven. I said, well, I know ETSU's missed two threes because I've seen that. What are we, like, oh, for seven. I'm like, oh, that's not good. Yeah, no. And it, no, it, it seemed like every time I turned around – Chad knew was knocking down shot after shot after shot, and ETSU again didn't hit shots. And, and mm-hmm. I, I, the game is simplistic in, in certain aspects of it, and it's complex in many ways I'll never understand. But in the two Chattanooga games, I think it's just as simple as ETSU, for whatever reason, has not knocked down shots. Yep. And Chattanooga has shot better. And now some of that is because I'm sure Chattanooga is the reason why ETSU isn't shooting the ball particularly well. I think Giselle Thomas had several drives early, got to the rim, and they didn't quite fall. And then eventually they did start going down, so she got off to a slow start. But so did everybody else. It was a rough first quarter, I think a single-digit first quarter. And then really Chattanooga didn't look back from there. Yeah, Neve Brown is 5 of 14. Uh, first really disappointing game for her in a while offensively. And uh, the, you mentioned Giselle was 7 of 17. The team as a whole was 4 of 12 from three. Journey McDaniel missed a couple. And, and – Chattanooga played great defense. They forced ETSU into their second or third choice shot a lot of times down the floor, or they put Thomas and Brown in positions where they didn't have a good look and kind of played to their tendency of they want to try to score even you know over two defenders if they can, and so they would take bad shots. They were put in situations where they took bad shots time and time again, and that ultimately uh, caught up with them by the end of it all. Uh, they got dominated on the glass. Um, Chattanooga, I, I think, ended up with a, you know a ton of threes as well. Uh, they were executing on screens and, and things of that nature. And uh, four of the five starters hit a three. The only one that didn't hit a three was Cornelius, and she still got into double figures. Uh, they didn't really have that much going off the bench. Again, it's the starting five. Once again, no foul trouble knocking down shots, executing on screens, and getting decent looks and just banging them in. Um, a, a banner shooting day for Chattanooga. And that's frustrating for the Bucs. Um, I think this is going to be a very motivated team going on the road to Sanford, which is going to be arguably their toughest game of the year in SOCOM play is in Homewood on Thursday night. And then they're going to go on the road and uh, take on Mercer after that. So... This is a uh, this is the this is kind of the prove it stretch, right? This is what we call this. this was this was the prove it stretch. You know, go prove that you're a contender in the SoCon in women's hoops, and uh, I think Mercer just clobbered UNCG. So um, you know, there's there's that game, and Neil Tyser is now back healthy, 
Uh, so you, you, you're kind of going out of the frying pan into the fire here on this road trip. You are really going to have to prove that you are as good as the best teams in the SOCON if you want to get these wins. And um, yesterday, or I thought Saturday, they just didn't execute at critical junctures, and that cost them the game. Well, the good news is we've got radio broadcasts the next uh, couple of games. Uh, Keith's going to hit the road Thursday and Saturday. He'll have both yeah. those games, Sanford yep. and Mercer. So firsthand accounts of those, which means we'll have to get the uh, – Wednesday pot out, and I don't know, we may do a, uh, a Friday phoner because uh, uh, i got a feeling you're going to be on the road a lot Thursday uh, driving down there and getting prepared for the game. So Yeah, I mean, I could probably find a hard line somewhere we could tape it in an arena. Maybe I can go tape at practice or something. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have fun. We'll, we'll figure that part out, but definitely uh, going to have both those games on radio, so we'll have that coverage. Wednesday we're going to do a full breakdown of the Southern Conference like we normally do, the standings and all the good fun stuff that goes with – uh, our normal Wednesday breakdown as fans, again, of other schools have enjoyed, as well as ETSU fans, kind of our thoughts on the league. So that's all I'm going to do for uh, men's and women's basketball. We'll have a lot more on hoops coming up on Wednesday. The mail goes into three sections according to how important I think the thing looks, okay? Now, the least important stuff, I'm going to burn that. If it's important, they're going to send it again, right? The middle important stuff, I put that back in the mail addressed to me, so I buy myself a couple more days. And the most important stuff, that gets delivered. I'll actually burn that too most of the time. The mail never stops. There's never a let up. It's relentless. Every day it piles up more and more and more, and you got to get it out. But the more you get out, the more it keeps coming in. And then the box over it breaks, and it's garbage is clearing out. When you control the mail, you control information. So How long does this go? It's over. Uh, <laughs> so the good news is uh, the mailbag question came in. Who are the top candidates for the Southern Conference uh, commissioner uh, coming up that will be vacated Ooh. on June 30? And we'll see. Last time I used old Jeff Schimmel and his uh, corporation to do it, and we're familiar with Schimmel. He came uh, and did uh, uh, the review of one – our 360 review of ETSU athletics just a couple um, years ago. And so I got to spend a lot of time with Jeff Schimmel. I'm going to, uh, once he gets hired, and I'm sure he will again, I'm going to hammer him on uh, what mm-hmm. we can find out there. That being said, I thought I would put together a list. I said, Keith, you put together a list. We're not going to talk about that. it. I okay. did it like immediately after we talked about it. Okay. So I've got mine in three tiers. I don't know if you tiered them. I, I, did, I did two tiers. Okay. I did three tiers. I got who I think are the strong candidates I would go after. Tier two I got, yeah, I mean, they're they're strong candidates, but there's maybe a caveat why they're not in tier one. You know, and tier three is maybe a bit of a fantasy um, uh, picks. Uh, so we'll, we'll, see what you, we'll see what the fans think. You can comment on it. You can let us know who you would hire or, or what you would go for. I think the obvious first one you would have to – look at is in-house would be the only candidate which would be jeff cape 32 years southern conference i've known jeff a long time obviously knew jeff before etsu left the league jeff's still there uh instrumental in a lot of things um with the league so i think that is um the first one i would go with i think sean murphy 
from uh, the CAA, Associate Commissioner of Men's Basketball. Mm -hmm. I think Sean Kearney is another one. Spelled differently, by the way. The first Sean is S-A-W-N, just for those you checking, and then S-E-A-N for Kearney. I, I, I know you're you're really concerned about that. S-A-W-N? S-H-A-W-N. Oh, like I okay. H-A-W-N. Uh, uh, and then uh, Sean Kearney, the S-E-A-N, he's with the A-10. So, Basketball still sort of the bread and butter for Southern Conference and has been over time, so that's why I went kind of that route early. So let's talk about Jeff, because I feel like Geoff, as you like to call him, um, is is going to be a major focal point of the search. He's been the interim commissioner. He's been here longer. He, he's been here almost as long as I've been alive. That's how long Jeff Cabe has been with the Southern Conference. Um, there are, There is good and bad with that. Right? Because on the one hand, he knows everybody. He already has, it's like, it's a very seamless transition, established working relationships. You know, he's got um, the inside perspective from everybody across the conference. He knows all the major players and he knows how to get them to work together in theory. The downside of that is that he has established relationships with everybody. If you are looking at continuity, then Jeff is the first, last, and maybe only choice. Uh, but if you are looking for something new, if you're looking for a new perspective to move the conference forward, you might be inclined to look at some people that haven't been in the Southern Conference for three decades. And and I understand both perspectives on that. And I think the direction that the presidents decide to go will tell us a lot about how they view the state of the Southern Conference. Do they view this as a league that needs to simply stay the course? Do they view this as a league that needs some sort of fresh, new, young, go-getter vision? Uh, and I think Jeff is definitely a viable candidate for one of those two perspectives and, and probably the candidate for one of those two perspectives. I mean, the question is, has he not thrown his name in a hat because he likes where he's at? That would be my only question. Does he like being the other guy? I've joked about on this podcast many years now, if you've listened about it, I love to be the other guy, right? I'm not a great the guy. I'm a better other guy or another guy, whatever. I don't know. Jeff's had opportunity, maybe throw his name in a hat. Is this a time where maybe he would be able to step in? Not, I think you would at least have a conversation. Start there. Figure out yeah. what it is. And, yes, do are there some schools that think inherently biased Jeff has? Probably. Are there some relationships where Jeff has great ones? Probably as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think another thing to pay attention to is that you have a number of commissioners in the region that are turning over at roughly the same time, um, particularly in the Big South. Kyle Collender is getting ready to hang it up. Uh, so what is that search? What is the fact that a, a competing conference and, and Ted Gumbart's leaving the A-Sun as well. So you've got two conferences in the region that are also trying to replace their commissioners in the next six to nine months. What does that do to your search? Does it make you more aggressive? Does it make you say, we don't want to deal with it? Um, I think there's a lot of dimensions to um, wh what makes Jeff Cabe the fit. But um, I don't think anybody can dispute his qualifications for the position. He is deeply qualified, perhaps slightly overqualified for the role of SOCON commissioner. He would definitely know all the history and why teams are mad about this or that or why they would vote this or that. I mean, certainly has the history aspect of it. And, again, mm -hmm. he's been doing it 32 years. How many more years does he even want to be in 
the league working. You know, I don't think he's going anywhere else or he would have left, right? If you want to go somewhere else, he's not going to sit there for 32 years not to retire mm-hmm. from the Southern Conference at that point. So, all right, so that that's, yeah. that's Jeff. I so, went a couple of basketball. Where did you go? So, I went actually a couple of football. Well, I do too, but I went basketball first. But go ahead. I, I, went, I went, so my top three, right, were it's kind of like your tier one, right? Like these are the ones that really stuck out to me as – wow, this would be a really great home run, crash, bang, zoom, hire. Jeff is one. Um, another one is, and and I don't know that we could afford him, honestly. Um, Charlie Hussey is the deputy commissioner and COO of the Southeastern Conference. He oversees and is the primary liaison with ESPN for the SEC Network, which is basically the whole reason to hire him in and of itself, never mind the fact that, you know, he's been at the SEC for a really long time. He is an SEC guy, right? I believe he was an old, I believe he's an old Miss alum. So um, he loves his position. You know, there was whispering in the halls of power that he could be the next commissioner of the Southeastern Conference. Behind, you know, we're succeeding Greg Sankey when Sankey gets ready to retire uh, because Sankey's not going to do it forever. So he might not want to leave. Um, but, as somebody who has a great relationship with ESPN, has a lot of administrative experience, uh, has been at the highest levels of college athletics and knows w- how to brand to get yourself perceived at a higher level, um, this is somebody that I think would be a fantastic get for the Southern Conference. And then my other choice uh, in my, my first tier is another conference administrator is Dan Satter who I know is on your radar as well, the deputy commissioner of the Big Sky. Dan overhauled their social media operation. And Big Sky Twitter is extremely fun. Uh, their Twitter account is a very engaged. Like It's kind of like that um, Twitter as a personality type of thing. Very engaged, very um, front-facing, wades into stuff. And uh, their digital media presence has been overhauled in the last three, four years. Their television contract got an overhaul that got them multiple games on linear television late at night uh, with Eastern Washington and Montana and Montana State, Sacramento State. All those, all those teams got national linear television exposure for their football programs. And that is something that I think that this is going to come up again when we talk a little bit more in depth about this. But that's something that I think the SOCON can move forward on. We talk about the growth of basketball, right? The the men's semifinals are on ESPNU now. Um, the men's championship game is on the mothership, I believe. It might be on, I think it's on ESPN or ESPN2. I can't remember which one it is this year, but um, it's usually on a high-profile linear cable channel. Uh, the growth of TV exposure, linear TV exposure for men's basketball under Jim Shouse has been... Really nice to see. And now you're at a point where it's time to do that for football too, I think. Or there is an opportunity to do that for football in your next TV contract. And Satter would be someone who would be in a position to get that for you. The same with Hussey, I think, as well. Um, those two in particular. And obviously Jeff Cave does a lot with the the television side of things as well for the SoCon that's really where I see the big step forward or the big movement opportunity for the league is how do we grow our football brand to overcome the loss of 
App State and Georgia Southern, which is something that the Southern Conference hasn't really done over the last 10 years. It's just kind of stood pat on football. Men's basketball has been great. Men's basketball continues to grow. Football has not grown with it. So how do you take that step forward? That's where I went with my kind of my tier one commissioner choices. Yeah, I also had Dan Satter for about the same things that you said. So I started with basketball because that's been sometimes bread and butter. Clearly getting a better TV deal. I mean, you look at the last, what, four coaches that left the Southern Conference, all power five jobs, right, you're talking about. Um, and now with Cincinnati going to the Big 12, right, and people didn't know that. So with Cincinnati Big 12, we're talking about Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, South Carolina, um, and Cincinnati. You're also Nico Medvedev, who left Furman, went to Drake in the Colorado State and never won a championship. So you could still say, look yeah. look at where he has yep. gone yep. as well. So basketball, clearly bread and butter. And at this level, if you can get in the tournament and get some wins like Wofford did and all that, mm-hmm. the money is much greater in the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. than it is for the FCS playoffs. Now, if you get the championship level FCS playoffs, that's a different animal. But as far as – getting in there but to give yourself chances you need improved football so that's why basketball's headed in the right direction i went with we can continue that as a league or if we're going to be relevant in two things like football and basketball i had dan satter also had greg walter social commissioner of missouri valley football he's just had to deal with football not the whole league so there's a little bit there too um because that it structures a little different. That Missouri Valley Conference is set up a couple different ways. There's a group that handles football only, and there's a group that handles, like, everything that does it. So I don't want to get into semantics there on what all – but on the football side, Greg Walter's a guy I would talk to. And then I'll, I'll talk about uh, Tiffany Daniels a, a little bit out, outside the box. First of all, female, and I think a strong candidate, SEC Associate Commissioner. But – Particularly, she deals with communications, PR, marketing, promotions, corporate sales. I'm going to get in that in my needs for the league. The league needs to get more out there. It needs more dollars coming. Agreed. It needs more. So if it's not necessarily football, basketball-oriented driven people, then money and how do we get funds for the schools has to be talked about. And Tiffany's been with SEC for a while. She played now. She played at – uh, Georgia, so similar uh, to what you were talking about a little bit earlier with, you know, kind of board and bread SEC there. Uh, there's a lot there, but I think that's clearly somebody to talk about. And then I had a couple of ADs. Um, yep. Uh, that, uh, well, let me go one AD. Charlie Cobb, AD at Georgia State. A lot of SoCon fans know he was at App State when he won the championships and got it rolling. And then D2 commissioner, Matt Wilson. A lot of people say, well, why, why would you go that route? Let me just defend that for a second. Number one, Gulf South's a pretty good D2 league, number one. They're getting decimated not due to his fault. There are people that are moving up, and they're going, you know, FCS. Well, it's the, it's the split, right? Conference Carolinas is bringing football back, so they're losing shorter. They're losing right. a couple other teams, and now they're going to be – CC's going to be at six, and now GSC's going to be at six. But also at North Alabama, some of those others had moved up. Yeah, and got, yeah. So there's a little bit of play there that's not necessarily – He's doing a bad job, and they've lost – you know, teams are just – you know, the league's folding because Matt's not done his thing. Plus, he cut his teeth, um, you know, in the old uh, OVC, then he was in the A-Sun. So, he's been kind of around that mm-hmm. FCS-type level. So, those are 
kind of the rest of my tier ones. I know you've got some ADs, and I think, you know, that's where they went with, with the last one, you know. Yep. That's where they went with Shouse. He was at Ohio, and then he goes. So there, there's clearly that's a, that's a direction you can go as well. Yeah, and um, on the AD side, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at Builder, kind of, you know, leading off my second tier with Jill Redman, who is the Executive Senior Associate Commissioner of the A-10 and is someone who kind of has a sort of bespoke role created between the commissioner's office and the other senior leadership positions. And it was created with some very specific initiatives in mind. And those initiatives have kind of, uh, they're, once they're in motion, there's not really a lot to do. They're kind of fire and forget. So this is someone who's been in conference administration for decades who is kind of twiddling her thumbs in the A-10's offices looking for a new challenge. Well, you're you're experienced enough. You're qualified enough. You've been around a high-level uh, men's and women's basketball conference. And why not, you know, take a step into, into the next level uh, and, and become a, the commissioner of a mid-major conference? Um, and, and also, I think, you know, this is another thing. We, we talked about the football uh, angle of it. Can I be blunt here? Yeah. Um, when I came back to the Southern Conference, um, in terms of the level of commitment, branding, initiative, push behind women's sports, it felt like I stepped in back in time about 15 years. Um, it is dramatically and pronouncedly behind a lot of the rest of the country and where other conferences are. Um, and coming from the Summit League where, you know, women's basketball gets probably 80% of the resources that men's basketball gets, like they invest in those programs and it pays off because South Dakota and South Dakota State are ranked every year. North Dakota State has extremely high expectations. They went out, they paid big money for a, a new head coach in Jory Collins and it worked and they're winning games. Um, you know, UND made a change and it's good. You know, they may, they may have to make another change soon. Who knows? But uh, Omaha took a big swing with a coaching hire. Um, those programs take it extremely seriously. The, you know, St. Thomas is building that $75 million arena. They're going to put their women's basketball team in it and they're going to draw. And it just feels like going there and going to the Northeast and seeing what's going on on the West Coast it just feels like the SOCON is way behind the curve on that. And somebody who can push um, greater equity for women's sports and specifically for women's basketball, you'd like to see it for softball and volleyball as well because those are you know growing national TV properties. You'd like to see some growth behind that. Somebody who puts a lot into women's hoops as the commissioner who makes it a priority, I think would benefit this league enormously. And it's extremely forward thinking because we've talked about this before. The outlook for women's basketball in the postseason is going to change. It's going to change dramatically in the next few years when they take the TV contract out to market. So what does that look like when you're a league that's, you know, 27th out of 32 in women's basketball in the net, but you're 17th or 15th or in a really banner year like they were not that long ago, you're like 12th on the men's side. Why does that disparity exist? And I don't think that disparity is a good thing for the conference, optically or in practice. 
So I, I want to see the SoCon really make a big push to get more women's basketball on television the way they do with the men, um, to just seem, you know, a, a, a greater commitment to the women's game in general. That kind of ties back into membership, which I know you and I have been talking about it. You know, we, we're going to talk about it again here in a little bit. Membership is part of it because there are only 14 conference games for the women, and that's just, it's, it's, I, I don't know how to defend it. There's no, de there's no defending that. I mean, the, the teams are having to schedule 16 non-conference games, and some of those, like they're, you're getting multiple non-counters. I mean, ETSU played the the Virginia University Lynchburg Dragons and uh, the Converse Valkyries this year. And one of those teams, you would be like, okay, well, I can live with that. But neither of those teams is particularly good. You don't really, I don't think you get better from playing those games. Um, I, I, you know, you can play like a, like a mid-level D2 that can push you a little bit and maybe only win by like 18 instead of winning by 63 or whatever. Yeah, that's, you know, those aren't games that make your teams better. Those aren't games that raise your profile. So why are you playing them? Well, because you don't have the ability to get other home games. You just, you have so many home games that you have to fill that nobody else in the country or very few other conferences in the country do. It's really difficult to get all of those schools, like the extra home games that they need, even an extra two. Go to go to go to sixteen um, games or eighteen games. Go to eighteen games. You get two more home games. Even an extra two home games would take a ton of weight off the shoulders of our, of the conference's women's basketball coaches. So I, I just see that as something that needs to be addressed. And somebody who has a mindset of, we're not just here for one sport, right? We're here for all our sports. As much as I want to see football grow, I want to see all the sports in the SoCon grow. I want to say, I want to see someone say, we need to take the initiative that we saw with men's basketball and apply that to every sport in the SoCon. And when that happens, when that happens, this conference is going to take off like a rocket because the fan support is there, I think. The markets are not all huge, but they're there, right? When these teams are good, people engage with it. Certainly in the Tri-Cities and Chattanooga, uh, I think Asheville is uh, you know, a pretty big draw for, for Western Carolina a lot of times. You'll see some interest in Greenville and in Spartanburg when you know, Furman and 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 maybe Wofford as well. Yeah, kind of Wofford when when they're good. Like you see a little bit bigger crowd, you see a little bit more engagement for those teams, and um, I think that's something that can be universal across all sports if the SoCon commits to all sports and commits to a more equitable experience in terms of branding and television profile for all of its um, all of its sports and all of its student athletes and that may be something where you just have to devolve more autonomy to the schools I don't know but however you got to do it the SOCON needs to do it because there are too many things about this league that are antiquated compared to their peers and that's why the SOCON is going to struggle to compete with its peers in a lot of sports that aren't men's basketball. That's me being blunt. Right? You know, men's basketball has gotten a lot of push, and it's worked. 
And it's time to do that for the other sports. And if you don't do it for the other sports and it doesn't come from the commissioner level down, then the SOCON's not going to get back to where it was in football. It's not going to get to where it could be in women's basketball, where it could be in baseball, it could be in softball. It's time to make that push. And, and I think that starts with the commissioner hire. Yeah, you got any more? Uh, you know, throw it there. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got a few. Because you got one that got you, uh, got you going. It got me going a little bit. Got me going a little bit. Um, so just in that vein of people who have run holistic athletic operations and know how to push holistic athletic success, uh, I would look at uh, Eric Wood, who's the athletic director at Louisiana Tech. You know, I mean, if you can do that in Ruston. I think you can do it anywhere in America. I've been to Ruston. I, I concur. Yes. And uh, also Justin Sell, who is the athletic director at South Dakota State. Uh, Justin is a Midwest guy. He's, uh, you know, Northern Iowa, SDSU, uh, I think a couple other Midwestern schools, but is somebody who is the visionary salesman type that you could definitely see as conference commissioner material. It's just a matter of can you get to him before a Power 5 school gets to him for a high-level administrative post? And I think you're going to get that because you're going to be looking for a commissioner in the next four months. So in the uh, tier two category, I do have uh, a couple of ADs in there, and I'm going to jump around my tier two, and a former AD. So Mm -hmm. one current AD, actually two current ADs, one is Richard Johnson at Wofford. Okay, yeah. And the reason I say that is because he basically ran a league when John Amarino was there as he would fly (laughs) John around on the donor jet, and I think it was pretty – Good assumption that whenever Richard brought up issues and problems that uh, John Amarino pretty much did what he said. And so two of the last three commissioners prior to uh, Schaus coming in were Wofford people, former ADs at some point in time at Wofford. Richard Johnson make it three out of four. They're in Spartanburg. I mean, it makes sense to me as a tier two. Now, there is a con. I mean, clearly uh, he did not have a great uh, – Football and, and, and the basketball deal is, is not quite gone. And there's some people out there, and I'm not in the know of, was that president's hire? Was it his hire? Either way, you know how it looks, right? Mm-hmm. It looks like it's his hires and it's gone awry on, on his watch. And considering he was the former basketball coach at Wofford, it led to Mike Young and the success there. And it was kind of keeping it in the family and the tree. And so we'll see. But the running joke for a long time was he was already the acting commissioner so, but wouldn't it make sense just to let him move, you know, a couple blocks away and then get in that seat? I feel like that would just exacerbate the public-private politics of the SOCON, though. Wouldn't it? No doubt. No I mean, doubt. And, and that's the thing, is I don't think the public schools really care how we move forward as long as we move forward as a conference. And it seems like the private schools have more terms and stipulations that they want to put on those things. Yes, there's always the disbelief that, it, and you know, it's we they have more money, or they, which is they, not they, always true. They we, you you can let everybody into school, or, you know, you don't you don't have these high academic standards that they do. There's there's the typical make up an argument over private school versus public school. And every time I hear kind of the Furman and Wofford saying, well, first of all, Furman has like a $700 million endowment, mm-hmm. which is the largest in the Southern Conference by the next closest is like 350 which I think is VMI. And if they wanted to commit $5 million from that to athletic, now that's not how it works. I understand that, but But, but I still. mean, it, the, the whole, well, the public schools can do more because it's easier to fund. Well, let's, let's, let's calm down, champ. Let's, let's calm down over there, okay? <laughs> now – 
Yes, it, it's not as simple as, well, we can just, you know, take this money and do this and that, and Keith is correct on that. But, you know, there there's some things built in, and the public-private thing has always been an issue. Um, the privates have been well-documented, whether you're, you're including the Davidsons and Elons of the world, um, mm-hmm. <sighs> in, in what the, their vision of the league and what everyone else's vision of the league is. You said the E word. I'm going to have to leave for a minute. Well, and the other thing is you, you sit there and you look at it, and there's always been, you know, they, nobody wants to have more privates than public. Or, it's really ridiculous. And that type of politicking around it, to me, it's very short-sighted. It's the, well, we've always tried to keep it equal. Well, great. You know, well, we want to play a symmetrical football. Oh, great. Well, we don't want any more South Carolina teams because it's unfair to us. Well, well, we don't great. want another me- a team in the, met- uh, the Charlotte Metro because we're in the Charlotte Metro, you know, I- even though you're not. We, no. we can't let, you know, another public school in because their enrollment's bigger than ours or they have a grad school and we don't. I great. The I mean, award cannot go to the Grinch because sometimes things are misled gosh, by cinch. I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't want to get down the road too much. I'm going to say the other AD, uh, Dr. Richard Sander right here, uh, certainly is, uh, ran uh, basketball certainly has some ties, has a lot of – I mean, at one point when he ran Villa 7, uh, now he's running uh, – oh, gosh, the, the the coaching search, which lands all the coaches off. Think about it in a second. But that being said, he's he's got a couple different things, top connect. And so oh, yeah. where he yeah. runs a whole thing where all the ADs get together with all the assistant coaches so that when they're looking to make a basketball hire – They've already met with assistant coaches, already identified some people, and as associate ADs or senior associates or deputy ADs are doing these interviews as well, eventually they get jobs and eventually they hire people in one of the more integral networking things for basketball. So to say Mm. that he doesn't have his ear to the ground, especially in basketball, and have ADs ear to the ground and wouldn't be able to pull together. Now, the con of that, clearly he's at ETSU. Right. And we don't Can want to be lose a bit our honorary, AD, like, right? Right. We we like old, old Dr. Sander, but I could see where the rest of the league maybe not on board with uh, his style of leadership. And the last point I was going to say as a Buck fan, and which is exactly what you just said, I don't think ETSU wants him to go away in the next couple years, anyways. I don't, I, yeah, I don't. I don't want to lose our AD like any seventy-seven, like you a month after we hired him. Right. So seventy-seven years old. Now, the other AD that I think would be great for the league. Mm. But the age and health issue is another thing, and that's a guy that's been a head coach at two of the Southern Conference schools and AD at a couple of Southern Conference schools. That's Les Robinson, ties to Citadel ETSU. Les is unbelievably connected. He is a smart man, but age and health, again, is the issue there. If this would have been 10 years sooner, I think Les uh, would have been a great choice to kind of expand uh, the league and do some different things there. So... And then the last one, Dr. Brian Nolan. He did the search for uh, the the last uh, conference commissioner and Jim Shouse. You know, he's been in ETSU a long time. Do I want Dr. Nolan to leave ETSU? Of course I know. Absolutely do not. Do I think if he's thinking, well, where do I go? Maybe I've been here 10, 12, 14 years, whatever it's been now. Where am I going to go from here? Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, you know, there's there's some logical we're, things there. We're, we're beating around the bush here. We both know who the next commissioner of the SOCON needs to be. Joanne Patey. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Gus, we need somebody that's going to be no-nonsense and knock some heads. Pull people together. And knock some sense into people if necessary. When people are arguing and she makes a meal, everyone gets along better. I don't know what it is. It's the amazing power of Joanne Patey. I agree with that. I would vote 
Jo Joanne is the greatest unifying force in our athletic department. God, I love Joanne. So do Buck fans. Uh, all right, look, you ready for tier three? You ready for tier? Or you got any more tier twos? Uh, that yeah. That tier, well, I mean, I think I just let off tier three right there. No. <laughs> all right, tier three. Here we go. So here's my tier three. Think about this, okay? Follow me. Follow me here. This is a windy path on some of these. Oh no, Paul Johnson. Yep, I know what the you're coach? thinking. Yes, Paul. Well, not the not the TV guy. He's retired. But yes, uh, Paul Johnson, former football coach at um, Navy and Georgia Tech. But Georgia Southern's where I'm going with it. National championships, FCS level, been in Southern Conference. You want to raise football, right? I think he's in a position where you know what? Maybe I just need to focus mm -hmm. in and help football and be an ambassador, get some people to the table. So Paul Johnson. Now, yeah. if you're still sticking with football, Terrell Owens. Why not? I mean, he loves him some him. Right? You give me some T.O., then all of a sudden, SoCon loves SoCon. I mean, I think it, it's perfect. He's got ideas. He could raise a profile. I mean, I was going to put primetime on the list, but I think he's not going to leave Colorado yet. He's got, he's got some work to do there. So I'm going to go Terrell Owens. You know, I know he's a Chattanooga guy. I know that pains me to say, but – I don't know why we wouldn't think about T.O. You got one? It'll play up the rivalry when the commissioner – I've got more. I don't, know. Favorite. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, got, I, got, I got a couple for you. I got a couple okay. for you. Okay. So, like, we want to see the SoCon have a bigger profile in, um, you know, in its footprint by uh, adding people to the conference who are high-profile figures in the Carolinas. So, what better option than Michael Jordan? Oh, well done. I well mean, done. you know, I mean, well, he's Southern from conference. Wilmington – Charlotte guys living in Charlotte. Yeah. North Carolina was in the Southern Conference. Remember, it's the longest-standing long conference ago. tournament. Yeah, the there's nothing more the Southern Conference loves to do than to put the NC State guy from 1937 that did something in the Hall of Fame. So, if we're going to live in uh, that world, Carolina, I think it's a natural tie. I mean, certainly he's got my – and my dad – he may play again. I don't know. I don't know. He'll figure out a way to be legal for him to get back on the floor. Not yeah, sure. does he have one more year of eligibility? Because I thought he left after three years. Well, I know J.R. Smith's playing golf again. Oh, right? yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Right, so I don't know. If oh, maybe, yeah, that's if, a good point. Jordan get on the golf course. That's a good know. point. Yeah, no. I mean, and plus, uh, I mean, UNC Wilmington would be tripping over itself to get in the soap. Oh, see, the, look at this. Already working on expansion. Yes. Um, I, got, I got another one for you. Um, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie is always looking for different things to do and different things to explore, new experiences for himself. So what better thing to do than uh, steward a conference into uh, an uncertain future in college athletics? Well, uh, I don't know how many PR guys he would need. What, what, what? But he could afford to run the conference office on his own. Oh, no, yes, that's true. That's true. He You know, depending on what type of paycheck. Yeah, what about Steph Curry? I mean, I know Davidson mm -hmm. there, but maybe brings Davidson back. Yeah. You know. SoCon made him, whether he likes it or not, right? I mean, that if he's not there representing the Southern Conference in the tournament, then you know That's true. he's not it's who true. he is. It's true. It's true. All that run doesn't matter. So, those are my former coach, former athletes. I I got a, a couple more outside the box. Yeah, I do too. Okay, you shoot, and I'll go next. Bruce Feldman. Mm. And we want all okay. of our coaching moves to be. High-profile news. Mm -hmm. We want them to get the foremost national reach that they can get. Bruce Feldman can give you that. Bruce Feldman has all the press connections. You know, he's going to get print media all over your schools, which is going to help spread the word on social media because that's where all your viral content comes from uh, is, is print these days. People love it. You know, video content is one thing. Video content's fine for like you're walking around on your phone, you're messing around, you know, you're sitting in the bathroom doing whatever. But when you're sitting in your office at your desk, 
can't watch a you can't watch a video full volume, but you can scroll an article about the SoCon that Bruce Feldman got put in a publication. I like that one. I'm gonna go with Mark Emmert. You know, he's about to leave the NCAA, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna veto that. No, um, I mean. We don't have the money for the legal fees. I, I mean, he was at LSU before that, right? And uh, I'm just thinking he knows inner workings of what would be the best, how to position the Southern Conference, not just in basketball, but on uh, Title IX sports, FCS, right? He, he had nothing really to do with the uh, the FBS and everything that's going on now with the, the college football playoffs and all that. Sure, they're involved in a little bit of the bowl games, but football's its own entity. He's not really tied into that. If um, the Southern Conference wanted to maybe do some things living on the edge, who would know more about the rules? Can we do it? Can we not? Can we live on edge? What do you say not to get in trouble? That's what I say Mark Emmert could do for us. In fiscal year uh, 2020, the NCAA spent more than $52 million in legal fees. It did not win a single court case. No. So he knows how, again, because he's been going on the other side of that, how to avoid you know, being sued by the NCAA no. or getting caught. No? Okay. No. I got, but I, I do have one that I think you'll appreciate because we're talking about the push for football, the importance of football, elevating football. Well, what the heck's Randy Sanders doing these days? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a quote machine. That'd be awesome. Well, he's fishing a lot. I he can would definitely that. be. We could move the conference headquarters to Morristown. He wouldn't have to leave. You know, he could just hang out. He could go. He could go to the office from nine to one thirty, and then go hit the boat and just live the life. Do you think there would have to be like one of those uh, McDonald's ice cream machines in his office? Would it work? Well, no, enough. Not. You're right. You're right. Uh, a Sonic one. Ooh. Like, I just. Can we get one of those? He's an ice cream room? guy, man. I, I just, uh, Can we know. get a soft serve machine in the ETSU external uh, operations offices? No, it'd get ugly. Kevin Brown would be fighting people. Oh, Kevin know. would absolutely. We can put it. Well, we can even put it in Kevin's office. We can put it in your office. No, we can put it in your office, and then Kevin has to say nice things about you to get soft serve no, ice cream. I don't need more people in my office. I'm, I'm, I'm good. That's true. It is. A, it's very much a. It's the roundabout of the athletic department. So, I got one, and and, and this one I know is a reach. Okay. This one, uh, and I know what you're thinking. This one's a reach. Yes. Greg Sankey. Now he's employed. <clears throat> yeah, gainfully most, so. The the most powerful conference in the land but here's my argument to him i mean <laughs> you could be phil jackson right and always get colby and michael on your team or 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 you could go to the southern conference and really put a staple on how great you are you could be greg popovich exactly you could simply go to the southern conference and say you know what I would rather prove that I'm truly the smartest man alive because let's be honest, I'm not doubting he has skills. Mm -hmm. But do you think you could probably accomplish two thirds of what he's done if you were the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference? Maybe, probably, probably like forty percent, thirty-five. I'm thinking thirty-three. It probably sells itself. I mean, you're. It's it's kind of like uh, the teams are doing the work. 
you're keeping everything afloat, and uh, yeah, you're negotiating deals. Well, guess what? You're negotiating deals where your teams have won like a billion national championships in a row in football, right? This is why we That's don't work in marketing. Thing. We don't know anything about how marketing and contract negotiations work. It's fine. Then your, your TV deals. All right, if you're winning the most, TVs will come pay you, right? I'm not. I'm not real smart on that, right? Uh, and then with the landscape everything's doing, then you can just spend all day because all those big monies are rolling in and just pay a lot of steak dinners to meet with other presidents of Texas and Oklahoma. And, I mean, I can meet with those people. Anyways, I think if, Grand, if, if Sankey left, came to Southern Conference, in 10 years, boom, what would it be? Yeah, I, I suppose, as, yeah, meeting, you know, whining and dining, you know, the president of Texas as opposed to, you know, the president of Furman or – Winthrop or College of Charleston at like a sizzler on the SOCON budget? Don't you knock a sizzler. Hey, I'm just Those saying. are spectacular. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, I, I learned that a lot of the buffet places deliver now. That's like, what is the point of that? Like, if you're going yeah, it, to a sizzler corral or a Golden Corral, like, do you really want Golden Corral delivered to your house? Doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose? Part, part of, it's like Waffle House. You go there and it's going there is the experience. Right, the food is, you know, if you're in the mood for it, I'm, it's fine, you know, especially when it's chocolate fountain time at, at Golden Crown. But, you know, why would you want that to come home with you? There's like it's a like limited you, you, gummy bears. You go there, you have that experience, and then you leave it, and it's somebody else's problem after that, and then you go home. You don't bring that into the home with you. It's like inviting a vampire in. You don't do that. I mean, nobody wants Barn Hills delivered. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if you've eaten there. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I have, no. That's a Florida-Alabama thing. Anyways, all right, uh, and then I got one more, unless you got another one to back bounce back and forth. Uh, No. All right, my last one is for fun. Yeah, my list is run dry. So David Jackson. Yeah. Former App State play I unironically support that. Yeah. So I unironically support DJ as the commissioner. That's what I'm talking about. Let's do it. Still tied, still doing games, running the boom chamber, whatever another. Let's get him. Smart man. Extremely smart man. I know he looks like Yosef now with the beard and everything else, but <laughs> a little bit. smart, smart man. So David Jackson, my final uh, candidate, and that is our three-tier candidates. I I fully support DJ. That's actually a really good idea. And, I mean, it's not – what's he going to do, say no? He's got no choice. He's got no choice. We're compelling him. Now, this is a transition. That's still sticking with so what four things? But three things I want to see the commissioner do. Number one, I want expansion. I agree. For and not just. For football, and that's the big thing. Well, for football, we need more teams. We need round robin. Mm-hmm. Basketball needs it because it needs to raise the profile. But not necessarily just on the men. The women need it. They need more games. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And, I mean, you can go out and you don't have to mess with football's perfect little eight-game round robin if you don't want to. You can go get non-football schools that will gladly join the Southern Conference. In fact, I mean, there are leagues out there that are shifting their priorities to be more football-oriented. Those conferences have some non-football members. What if those conf- those schools decide, hey, we want to go to a place where men's basketball is a little bit more of a priority? They come to the Southern Conference, 
and they bring men's basketball, they bring women's basketball, and typically, if you're not a football school, you also have men's soccer, and the SoCon needs all of those things. Need more softball? You need more softball as well. They could take baseball? 100%. Uh, There's a lot that could happen that I think expansion would be great for, and with the new TV deals, we're talking about it just a second ago, but with the new TV Mm -hmm. deals for the SEC and the ACC, they're talking about 22-game league schedules in basketballs. That's mm. going to be tough. That's going to continue. Well, guess what else? That means there's going to be a trickle-down effect. And at some point, other leagues are going to have to play more games because it's going to be harder to get non-conference games. Correct. So then you're going to struggle as a Southern Conference to get games. And if you don't expand to get those members now, you're going to be left with suboptimal choices in the in the back end. And I think that's why the CAA has been so aggressive. It's because they recognize which way the wind is blowing, and they said, hey – we better load up on teams and build them up because if we don't, we're going to be left with some not-so-great options. The second thing they need to do is raise the profile of the league, and that is not just mm-hmm. a blanket like, hey, football needs to get more teams in the playoffs or basketball needs to be a multi Everything. The Southern Conference needs a better all-around raised profile to where it is more than just the little – and it's a great little niche thing in this area, mm-hmm. but it needs more of a profile – that's my second thing. I would agree with that. Um, and I think part of the thing that you can do is you can do what the Big Sky has done and make your Twitter account into a standalone personality. Your Twitter account is a person. Like it's it, 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 it talks like a person. It acts like a person because it's run by a specific person that just tweets all day and comes up with content ideas. Uh, there was something I saw about just like, who has the best game day shoes? And it was just four pictures. It was... Furman and Samford and I don't remember, I don't remember the other two two that weren't nearly as as nice looking shoes. Uh, the answer was clearly Furman. Like they had the purple accents, and I know you hate the color purple, but it just it looked right, and it looked like a signature shoe for them. Um, ETSU was not one of the options, by the way. I double checked before I said that. So, but like that, that kind of content is stuff that's missing. Um, I think, you know, the, the fan outreach has been missing and that's something that, you know, individual universities can only take so far. Like ETSU, I think has a phenomenal fan base. Chattanooga has a fantastic fan base. <laughs> um, you know, Furman has a lot of alums that I think are very, enth- VMI and the Citadel have a lot of alums that are very enthusiastic about it. Some of them are even specifically working in the FCS media landscape and, the SOCON doesn't do enough to engage those people. You could argue sometimes the schools don't do enough to engage those people themselves, but the SOCON definitely can do more. And I think it's it starts with your presence on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Um, that's where you really get it going. It's not just about linear television. Um, it's it's also about your your overall media apparatus. How does the media element of your conference function? And it's not even down to the individuals, right? Like it's not down to the people that run the day-to-day. It's the it's it's the vision that you are implementing for those people to go out and execute. Because if you give them a different vision, then I think they'll go out and execute it just fine. You know, I think the people that, that you know, do the day-to-day and run the, the rank and file with the SOCON are generally competent. Uh, I think they need a vision that they can push forward with. So the last thing I think ties in a little bit of that too is money. The league needs 
money deals, rather that's more, and they've gotten more TV exposure. That mm-hmm. has helped, but I think they need to figure out a way to get either more corporate dollars or yes. better revenue sharing or something. But I think that's the third thing: expansion, raise the profile, and the last thing, money. The league needs money, and I think that's something where again you have somebody in place that can go get you those things. Terry Bernie can close a deal. Um, it's just a matter of, again, the vision to go find those things, to just, just have that little bit of like, know how to like, know where to get your foot in the door and then let your senior associate commissioner who got hired in June, she's brand new here. Let her go do her thing, but she's been in the region forever. She was at UNC Asheville. So she's got a ton of, of, uh, business relationships or, uh, exper- relationships with, uh, uh, potential clients and existing clients and can help ex- help you expand that. Um, all, I think you need new monetization opportunities and also a couple of big, maybe just a couple of big fish, like national big fish that want to spend money for brand association that you can go out and lure in and throw her some leads and let her go to work. All right, so those are my three Big things I would like to say. Now, there's a lot of things I could have thrown on the board, but I tried to very concise and obtainable goals. That was my thing. Can we get expansion? Yeah. Right? Can you raise your profile? Right? Can you get more money? I mean, those are things that if you're sitting there and you look at them, and yes, they're a little broad in some things, and maybe the expansion's the hardest part of that, or I don't know. Maybe I don't know which one is. I have an expansion big board if you're if you want it next week. Yeah, we need to do that. Let, yeah. we, need, we need to. We, we've talked about that. We will do. Yeah, we can do that because then we can actually put them in some categories if we want all sports or just. Uh, I everything put. A, I put a couple schools on that board last night that I was initially. I was like, ah, I don't think they lead their situation. Then I was like, you know, maybe they would. Maybe they would. Well, I mean, if Sankey was here, they would. Oh, hundred percent. I don't know. Uh, well, we're not yeah. doing that. Um, all right, so that is what we're talking about selling conference code. Boy, that got on a nice little tirade there. Uh, it sure did. We're just over an hour. I didn't do any pre-roll vamping until the beat dropped this time. Aren't you proud of me? No, I kind of like your little pre-rap. You do? Here. You like the preamble? The yeah. preamble yeah. ramble? Yeah, the ramble that, you know, the, the meaningless nothing. Yeah, exactly. That's at every concert known to mankind, and you're like, I don't know what people are talking about. This, yeah, it's, it's all just working the crowd yeah. until the beat hits, and then we start making music. You know who worked the crowd this year? Um... I don't know, but I think you're going to tell me, and I think he's probably sitting right there. Yeah, Will Huzzy. Yeah. That's who worked the crowd because it was like, you know what? He's playing with my emotions. I'm going to leave. You know what? I'm just kidding. I'm coming back. Let's get the full story. Will Huzzy, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Good morning. First question I have for you has nothing to do with anything with ETSU. Where do you fall on, is it Huzzy or Hoozy? Because I was trying to figure that out, and my guy Randy, who obviously the one connection you guys do have, right? You know, He played in the Dome. Right, playing the Domer's a big old picture of it in there. And so he was a Southern Conference guy, and a Southern Conference guy is giving love to the number one play uh, to another Southern Conference guy. But then uh, he's confused on the name. Where do you fall on that? Huzzy. That's Huzzy. 
That's, that's what we were calling it, but I didn't know. I didn't know if Randy, you and him were tight. I uh, knew no. something I didn't know. How do you feel that uh, one of the greatest receivers of all time has his own segment and then you pop up there as number one? Um, It's just a blessing because uh, growing up and, like, when I started playing football, I used to look up to him. It was Randy Moss and Terrell Owens was my go-to guys. We're always watching film on them. And just for to be recognized by one of the greatest players, it's just a blessing. Well, let's stick there because you mentioned two guys, and those two guys are in the Southern Conference. Did you did you, going into uh, kind of coming to ETSU, picking that recruitment, all that? I mean, did you have any idea until you really got here and understood Southern Conference that those guys played in the same league that you're playing in? No, nah, I never knew. Like coming out of high school, I didn't even know what the SoCon was really. I just knew Mercer because I'm from Georgia, so we knew about Mercer, but I didn't even know Mercer was in the SoCon. So. When I got to ETSU, then when we played chat, just to find out Terrell was with the chat, it was crazy. So everything was pretty much brand new to me. And that's that was one position there for a while that because uh, you include David Patton who went to Western Carolina, uh, Troy Brown's another Marshall guy. So you, you can go through the list of um, uh, folks in the Southern Conference of receivers that went. It's one position that's been able to make it. Uh, in the NFL, and so that's the position you play. Just talk about how maybe that could be a, a motivating factor to keep you going. Um, I hope I can be somebody from ETSU uh, to start it off, especially for the guys that are still here with me. Like I feel like the guys behind me that's looking up to me to set the standard. I feel like when I'm going, they're gonna beat my records and be better than me. So for me to like set the standard for them to see like if I can do it. Hopefully, if it's in God's plan to make it to the league. I feel like I motivate everybody else here to see that I was to do it. They can know they can do it, too. So let's dive into this. Um, you went into the transfer portal yeah. uh, it, over the winter, yeah. and now you're back. Yeah. Um, so what led to the decision to go in, and what led to the choice to ultimately come back to ETSU and continue um, to play here? The decision to go in, um, I had to sit down with my uh, my parents and family. When we just talked about it. Um they're just like, um, they just seen everybody leaving and stuff. So they was kind of shot, like kind of scaring them about it. I ain't, I'm not gonna lie, I was scaring me about it, cause we like losing key players, like especially my cousin. But me and my cousin had talked about it. So, I mean, just look at his stats. So I understand why he left. I I just want to get this out there. Like all my team previous teammates that decided to go to the portal, like. I'm not I'm not hating on them. Like if you know you if you believe you can go somewhere else and produce, I'm all for it. And I'm hundred percent behind the decision. So I told my cousin about that. So my my family thought side of like I can just at least see what's out there. So I decided to hit the portal and uh the first week was kinda busy, you know, a lot of schools was hitting me up. Like I had like a couple of FBS schools hitting me up for the first week. So I thought, you know, I thought it was gonna sadly be my last time at ETSU but as the weeks kept on going on after that really the first week I stopped hearing from the big schools that's hitting me up cause I guess they already had their guys that they wanted for this early signing period so as the whole process going on ETSU was really the only one that stayed in my area it really came down to ETSU Austin P, Gardner Webb, UT Martin um, and Jane Madison so those were like the only schools that really they offered me and they kept um, stayed in my ear the whole process, really. And uh, so that last week, it really came down to Austin P and ETSU. Um, Coach Price and uh, Coach Horn came down, did a house visit. 
that morning, Austin P came that later on that night. And I think I made, I made my decision probably like Saturday. They came Friday morning. I made my decision around Saturday, 9 p.m. Like it took me. I really had to sit down and think about it. And uh, I decided to come back to ETSU. Yeah. How stressful was that process? And how relieved are you to just have it done and behind you now? Uh, that part, this the second time around, because, you know, high school. I, oh, yeah. I, the high school one, it wasn't even that bad. I thought, I mean, I had, I knew, like, I was going to be here just because of the relationship I had with the coaches with Downs and Randy. But Randy already coaching me and Elijah, uh, older cousin at Kentucky. So, but when I hit this time around, it was way more stressful just because phone calls coming in and out. You got unsafe numbers calling me. I don't know who calling whatsoever. So, and then I was working when I, when I, when I was back at home. So, they are calling me late at night when I'm trying to get some rest before, before I got to get up in the morning for work. So, it was a lot more stressful. And then it's just the circumstances behind it. And then you got people in your family trying to help you out with the decision. And, uh just, just when my decision to uh, come back here, not not everybody was. I'm not gonna say everybody was discouraged or anything, but they were just questioning my decision. But you know, I just went with my gut feeling and my gut telling me come back to ETSU. Right. In the end, it's your decision. Right. right. And that's that's something that's maybe, you know, can be tough for a lot of people to to sit with. Was it a lot of sleepless nights for you? I mean, you say working. I mean, that had to be. There had to be some Walking Dead days for you uh, because just so much stress <laughs> over your future. Yeah. Um, so when I went back home, I worked at uh, I worked at UPS like for loading and stuff. For um, so I do the night shifts. So I'll go in like around one a.m., two a.m. stuff like that, and I don't get off to like nine a.m. the following morning or eleven, just depending <laughs> how busy it is. So just imagine I'm trying to I'm sleeping. Before I got to get up at 1, 1 a.m. in the morning, I'm still getting phone calls all through. I'm getting phone calls from right when I get off of work all the way up to oh. midnight. So, Man. And then if they not getting in contact with me, they blowing up my mama's phone. My mama texting me to my son, you need to call these coaches back and stuff like that. So it was just a lot of stuff going on. I'm looking at stats because I'm a stat guy. And with the decision to come back, you're three touchdown receptions away from being third all-time. You're 10 away from tying the great Hall of Famer B.J. Adigan. You look at yards, you're already third all-time. You're uh, 20-some – I'm not fast enough to do the math – 20-some yards from 2000 career, which would be the third Buccaneer to do that. Behind, again, two legends. Cecil Moore played for the New York Jets for a little bit. And then B.J. Adigan again, uh, the Hall of Famer. It's going to be a theme when you hear B.J. one more time. <laughs> and then in receptions – third all-time you need 24 to actually be the all-time leading receiver as far as receptions go in school history again passing the great Cecil Moore and B.J. Adigan so you're already in the if there's a Mount Rushmore right top four right you're already in there there's a good chance you're going to get the most receptions as, as long as everything goes as, as planned you got a shot, you know, if you have a monster year, 10 touchdowns a lot. But if you have a monster year, you can get 10 touchdowns, you get there. Uh, yardage, you would have give around 900 yards uh, to get B.J. there. So you have a shot to either own one or two or even three all-time records at receiver 
what would that mean to you to get one, two, or all of the above? Um, it'd be a blessing. Just it's just a blessing to hear my name just in the conversation with the great guys that came before me that uh paved the way for me and stuff like that. But um, with me put um being on record books like that, I mean it just shows that my teammates and the coaches that believed in my ability to help me get there. Like without them, I'm probably nowhere in the books or anything like that. So. It might just show up as my name on there, but it's really the guys that helped me get where I'm at, especially my freshman and all the way up to now. So, You were part of what many people would consider the greatest team in ETSU football history. You're already in the record, but you have a chance to write the record books by the time you're done here uh, as a wide receiver and, and also to set right last year, which I think everybody would agree went sideways on you guys. How much does that sort of legacy matter to you when you decide I want to come back to ETSU and keep playing in Johnson City? Well, um I grew up with my so I grew up with my grandparents and they saying they used to tell me all the time, always leave always leave somewhere uh better than you came in from. So like I'm from so my high school, I went to Duluth High School in Gwinnett County and we were trash uh, all four of my years but when but I'm the one that brought the more attention to Duluth when I when I left so now I look at them now. Now they go into the playoffs every year now. With uh, so, just for me to come back, you know, I seen like my freshman year when I first got up here, we got the SoCon ring in 2018. Then like we came back around in 2021. Just so for me to um to leave how we how to leave the school how we did last year, it wouldn't just sit right with me. So I'm just, my goal this year is to leave it how how I wanted to be. Is hopefully to bring another SoCon championship and I can. If I can do that, I probably feel good about how with the legacy I leave behind. I thought it was interesting, uh, you know, to show what what kind of a person will. And I've talked about this with, with Traymon and Quay Holmes, Traymon Shorts, Quay Holmes. You guys win a championship against Mercer, mm-hmm. right? And the field goal's wide left, and everyone's celebrating, and everything's going on. And I'm doing the post game show, and then finally my dad looks at me, he's my stat guy, says, "Hey, you you got to do basketball in 30 minutes." And then we got to jump in a car. We got to drive across town, have the wrong sheet. And Keith will appreciate this. I printed out the wrong sheet for the opposing team. I don't even know who the opposing team. <laughs> got the wrong sheet. I'm sitting down. I'm I'm on a high from from football winning. And you know, golly, this is great. We're gonna go to the playoffs. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this broadcast. And you know, it's a non D1, and so the roster online's not much. And I'm trying to figure it out. And I look to my left, and there's three guys sitting in the stands. And it's, it's Quay, it's Traymon, and Will. Everyone else is out celebrating championship, and those guys are sitting there watching basketball. <laughs> so I'm like, hey. So I wave Quay down, and I get Traymon, and then I turn around to get Will, and Will leaves. I'm like, where did Will go? <laughs> I, said, I, don't, I don't know where Will went. I said, I'm trying to get Will on. I said, I got three guys sitting there. I don't know where you disappeared to. But, I'm like, but just talk about that you guys have uh, great pride, not just in the football program, but you guys were, were ETSU guys. I mean, yeah. you guys were at volleyball. I mean, you were at other events. It wasn't just, uh, um, you know, hey, we're football. We live in our bubble. We won a championship. This is us. Just talk about overall kind of the pride in the university. Um, just seeing, you know, everybody comes out to our game, so it wouldn't be fair just to see them at our game. We just chilling and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I'm not a type of guy to go out every night, so if I notice a game or something, I'm gonna go and support everybody else that comes to support us. So I thought it was just right, just uh, just to do that. And then it started with Quay and Tremont. Like, 
when I first got up here, I was really shy. I didn't want to leave the house or nothing. I was just trying to stay in my little bubble. But them guys really came, made me come out my shell more, made me met more people through them and more student athletes right here. So that was just our thing, our bonding thing. Just We always used to go out together and go to support everybody else's. This is not your first near miss with Jay. You mentioned that one. Um, so we had Tyler Rydell on the podcast <laughs> last week, and uh, we discussed his plans to return, and also by extension, your plans to return. Kind of stole your thunder a little <laughs> bit. Um, what was the conversation like when you and he talked about it afterwards? Uh, how how adamant were you that you needed to come on and set the record straight? Well. Before we decided to come back for uh, officially, we had talked about it, and mm-hmm. he was just like, I said, okay, so how are we going to do this? He's like, we're just going to keep a low profile. We're just going to let it. People around each as you know that we here, but like when they see us like in the hallway and stuff like that, but that's it, but we're not telling nobody else. Let's leave it as that. I said, all right, cool. So um, T.Y. comes to me. I see me and T.Y. go to the cafeteria later on in the cold, and we just eating. He's like, bro, I messed up. I said, what are you talking? <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? He said, he said, you haven't been on Twitter, have you? I said, no, I deleted Twitter off my phone. He said, bro, I, I slipped up. I told him that we're back. I said, T.Y., how you going to tell people that we back? You know what it told me to keep the low profile. So I go read that little Twitter, and I see in my my phone, I got all the mentions and stuff. I'm like, T.Y., bro, you done slipped up big time. <laughs> So I was like, I said, well, hopefully I uh I get to see you. So I put, I let everybody know I'm back too. So I seen uh, Jay at the game. We talked it up a little bit. And I said, I'll come on and clear the air for everybody. So I'm well, here now. And also, I think the frustration that you told me was the fact that you decided first to come back. Yeah. And so you decided first. Man. Then you recruit Tyler. <laughs> then Tyler says, hey, we're not going to tell anybody. And then Tyler spills the beans, right? Is that, is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that sounds about right. So that's why it, it was funny. Talk about that recruit. Like, since you decided first, like, you made this, and I don't know how long you decided before him, but just walk me through, like, when you decided, like, okay, you know, because you kind of told us why ETSU, you went, you came back. But when you decided, you know, was your first, obviously tell family, everything like that, was the first teammate phone call, was it to Tyler and say, hey, man, why don't, you, why don't we do this, run it back one more? Yeah, the first person I actually called was T.Y. Because uh, when Coach Price and Horn came to me, there, uh, my mama asked him what's going on with the quarterback situation. And that was like, that's probably my family's biggest concern because they know the, you know, I'm not saying, like T.Y. is the type of person to take up all the blame and stuff for when it comes to us and stuff like that. And I... And you look out there, that was an all on T.Y. So just for him to take all the blame for everybody and stuff, that was really big. And I and I keep on telling people it's not T.Y. Because without T.Y., the year, the season before, when I had all the numbers and everybody else, y'all probably wouldn't even know about me without T.Y. So for everybody just to throw him underneath the bus and stuff like that, talking about him and stuff, it was kind of crazy. But I made my decision at 9 p.m. on Saturday, and we had a team meeting that following Monday. So I hit him up. I said, "Where? Well, how you feeling about his recruitment process? He was just like, I don't know, man. It's just like it's just up in the air at the moment right now. So I said, all right, just keep me posted. So I'm on my way back up here Monday for the meeting. And uh, I get a FaceTime call from T.Y. He's like, bro, I should come back. I said, 
come on, we might as well rock out for the last time. That's going to be my last time here, and I wouldn't want nobody else throwing me the pass with the person that got me in all the record books. So that was Monday. I'm going to get my schedule that Tuesday. I'm going to walk up to the ramp to, for the, to the Humphrey, and I see T.Y. walking down the ramp, smiling. I said, what you doing here? He said, I'm back, brother. So ever since then, they've been they've been good with us. You know, we come in the morning now, work out. So we're just trying to make sure we can flip this thing back how it was in 2021. So here's a question about Tyler. And uh, he talked a lot about, I guess, Elijah was his roommate. Mm-hmm. You guys are tight. Mm-hmm. Is he an honorary hussy? Is he in the family? Yes. Yes. Because he, he, he said, I'd like to like to think I am. Uh, and then he paused. He goes, no, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. But before, uh, I, just, I don't know, because he spilled the beans. I don't know. Yeah. Your whole, I mean, yeah, got, I was like, does that get it? Got it's got like, is he out of the family yeah. after that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he 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 in the group. <laughs> All right, here's one thing because Keith wasn't around uh, when when you you told this story. He was uh, still at North Dakota State, but one day we had you in the Monday press conference, uh, maybe a couple years ago. Maybe maybe it was during the championship run, and they were talking about how you were able to make you know kind of those acrobatic catches. And you made one in one game with a jumping diving right hand. Then you made one with a jumping diving left hand, just to show that. Um, you know, you're amphibious or whatever it's called. You know, what am I? Ambidextrous. That's it, whatever. <laughs> so that thing. So you told a story about how your grandfather used to work with you. How did he help you have the hands you have today? Um. So in our backyard of my grandparents' house, we got just bricks, like, laid up against our wall and stuff. So... What we would do, um, we heard, I know I was watching, um, like, when my pop was had, like, my, my mother and stuff, while they was growing up in the 80s and stuff, the best receiver at the time was Jerry Rice. Yep. So Another FCS guy, by the way. Yeah. yeah. So, I was watching, uh, we was watching one of his, uh, it's like a little documentary they do for, like, the NFL players and stuff, and he was telling them, like, how his pops used to just toss some bricks to help with his hands. So with our bricks, so we got bricks in the in our backyard. So what we started doing, uh, he would start tossing me bricks and would help with my hands and stuff. And um, he don't we don't do it as much now because you know my pop is getting can't move around like he used to. So my cousin would come out there now. He would toss me bricks and stuff. So that would help with my hands and stuff. So um, that was one one of the main reasons why my hands is the way it is, but. I think majority of it comes from my basketball background, the way I can move, the way my body moves, and stuff like that. And I think I get that from my mother. So, cause my mother's the all high school. She was all American throughout all the sports she played. So, shout out to my mom. Very interesting. I, I, I in uh, one time <laughs> they said something about uh, your work ethic and all that. And I think I think your direct quote, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is that your grandfather doesn't play. Not at all. Uh, not at all. Well, ne- neither nobody in my family plays. So, but just seeing my grandfather, like the way he treat all his grandchildren and uh, his my mom and my aunties and, and my uncle, he just make he makes sure everybody up to par. Just for him, just working at General Motors for all them years and just seeing it, just making sure everybody was straight around the house and family, like so. So how important is it to you to bring that same atmosphere to ETSU football? 
if I don't if I don't bring that atmosphere back here, I'm gonna feel like a failure, and I feel like I'm a I'm playing I'm disrespecting my family what they put in me since I was a kid, just to there's no work ethic just you just wasting your time out there. And we don't got time to be wasted, you know. So you never you never know it might be my last snap or whatever anything can happen, God forbid, but. We don't got time to play, especially after the season we had. We definitely got no time to play, so everything's on the running clock right now. I mean, there's a lot of things um, you could look at as we're wrapping up here with Will Huzzy uh, in today's world. And no fault. I mean, you look at your cousin. He goes to North Carolina, right? I mean, it's hard to argue. Yeah. Traymond Short goes to LSU. Yeah. It's hard to argue, both on championship winning teams. They took ETSU to another level. Like, it's really hard – to for somebody to say, man, he gave us a championship, he gave all, and for uh, you know Tremont, you know he got a degree. You're gonna have a degree. I mean, it's not it's not like you didn't do everything for ETSU. Yeah. But there is something for folks that you know given a choice to, and you had options, mm-hmm. and you ultimately came back. Tyler had options. You ultimately came back. It's just another thing I think that's going to cement a, a legacy on top of. If you never played a down at ETSU, you're going to be top five in touchdowns. You're going to be top three receptions, top three receptions. I mean, that's a career to begin with. And now to come back and to, to say, hey, you know, we've got to finish business. We're going to do it one more time. And I want to do it for first, I would assume your brothers, your teammates, stuff like that. Um, you know, maybe for the fam too, but also for the school because you do have great pride in the school and I think that's something that ETSU fans if nothing else if they've heard of this interview or have not heard you speak before and all that I think they can tell the passion for ETSU we're lucky to have had you uh, decide to come to ETSU once we're even more lucky that you're coming back a second time and uh, we're so happy you got a chance to share your story with us today. Shut the record straight. That's really Tyler's fault, not mine. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, again, we'll, once the season gets going, maybe spring practice, we can catch up again. Oh, yeah, See how sure. things are going, my man. Appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. All right, well, Huzzy. Yeah, he was awesome. That was great. That was really good. And uh, It wasn't my fault. That's what I learned. No, no it, it was not your fault. It was it was entirely Rydell's fault mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, the cat got out of the bag. And there you go. They're both back, and I just think that's such a huge win for the culture of ETSU football to have both those guys here. There's no doubt you can hear the passion in his voice and the fact that he just wants to work hard and win. Yes. It was evident there. So Now he's got to go do it. Going back to the old system, and uh, he had a monster year in 2021. See if he can't have it in 2020. I mean, you put him one-on-one in a play-action situation on the, on the boundary, and who in this league can guard him one-on-one? Not many. If any, no. Short list. All right, we're going to Wednesday talk about Southern Conference standings, everything else in James. Buccaneers, whatever. Yeah, the Buccaneers, whatever. Oh, you got to be kidding me.